0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater.
1: And my name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. Amanda, we have a sizable show for you today.
0: Yes, this week on the show, we have Majority Leader Chuck schumer to talk about the recent stimulus package and what it means for restaurant owners and workers and I guess restaurant lovers as well for
1: those who don't know Congress just passed a 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus bill that includes uh, 28.6 billion dollars in full grants for food businesses which is something the industry's been lobbying for for a long time since the beginning of the pandemic and many people uh well pretty much everyone in the restaurant industry consider uh, a massive win and then we we are going to talk about some fun online controversies as we always do. Uh, but without, you know, we might as well just get into it. Here is uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer calling live from what I think is the floor of the Senate or his he office. He probably went back to his office yeah, when well, he
0: was in his office. Can we?
1: Yeah, well, you never, from the Capitol. You never know. He's there, <laughs> he's in the room where it happens, that's for sure.
2: hello
0: hi there
2: hi is that you hi. amanda
0: yeah this is amanda right. daniel are you there oh yeah hey. <laughs> i'm
2: here okay terrific i'm sorry um Raphael warnock our new senator from georgia the first african american ever to be senator from georgia gave his uh maiden speech
1: so i had to be there That makes total sense. And you passed us up for that? Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time. We'll just jump right in.
1: Let's
2: jump right in. Okay.
0: So we want to talk about what the new stimulus will provide for restaurant owners and then also what it will provide for restaurant workers. But first, can you just talk about how the restaurant industry got a carve out at all? What were the conversations there? And how did you become personally interested and personally attached to this issue?
2: Well, first, the restaurants and the restaurant, Bill, combine two things near and dear to my heart. The first, of course, is restaurants. I spend lots of time eating in restaurants. They're sort of the glue of New York and Mm -hmm. the heart and soul of New York. It's more than just eating, as great as that is. It's experiences and seeing people and mixing and mingling. If New York didn't have restaurants, it would be, and Brooklyn, my home borough of Brooklyn, the same, it would be a much lesser place. But second... My dad was a small man. Now, he didn't own a restaurant. He was the opposite. Instead of bringing things to life, he killed things. He was an exterminator. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, he killed rats and roaches, although he worked in restaurants. But I, I, he suffered. Being a small business owner, whether it's a restaurant or something else, you know what people have to go through. And he would pace the floor Sunday nights at 2 a.m. We'd hear him, sister and I. He hated going to work Monday morning and I'd work in the business. It's, you know, it was a small little junkie business and I'd see how he struggled. So I feel instinctively for small business people and restaurants. When I walk down the streets of New York and you know, now people can eat at the um, curbside mm-hmm. and I see the curbside set up with the little tents and all that and the heaters and no one's there. My heart breaks because I remembered, I remembered my dad. So the combination of loving restaurants and having such sympathy for small businesses made me care a lot about restaurants. And of course, then the restaurants uh, the restaurants themselves organized some. Tom Colicchio, who of course is on Top Chef, mm-hmm. uh, I knew him a little bit. I had eaten at his establishment and um, he got me involved. So I resolved that we're going to solve the problem for restaurants. And that's how I got involved. And um, it was a long, hard road, but we got there. We got there. So
0: their nascent lobbying efforts actually helped to to get the ear of lawmakers like like yourself.
2: Absolutely, and I had to tell them we have to put together a plan that, and the plan is really a good plan. It recognizes that restaurants have been about the hardest hit industry. Any industry where people gather by nature, by definition, are hardest hit. And so, even though we had PPP program, the small business program, it helped, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't adequate for restaurants. So we knew we needed a new and separate proposal. The original, Joe Biden did not propose it in the ARP, but I'm majority leader, and that gives me ability to put things on the floor of the Senate. And I basically said to everyone, I'm not going to put a bill on the floor of the Senate without restaurants in it. And the House. Uh, the house agreed and they put it in their bill we actually increased the amount and uh, so it'll really help our restaurants in a, a lot and um i can explain some of the
0: yeah, broad can, details,
2: can. if you'd like that, Amanda.
0: Yeah, can you talk about the $28.6 billion in grants and, and what that will yes. look like for small business owners? Well, so
2: First first and foremost, it's a grant, not a loan. During these tough times, restaurant owners had to borrow money, many of them. So to say, well, we'll allow you to borrow more money, that's not so great. So it's a grant. It goes up to $5 million per individual restaurant um, and it goes to $10 million Dollars for groups, but you can't have more than 20 restaurants in your group. One of the things we wanted to avoid is the big chains coming in and scooping this up mm-hmm. when we had independent restaurant owners who needed the help more. So, you know, the Red Lobsters and the Olive Gardens, they can't get this. Um, uh, second, it's very broad in what it can pay for, it can pay for payroll and benefits. It can pay for the mortgage, it can pay for rent, it can pay for utilities, maintenance, supplies, including protective equipment and cleaning materials. It can pay for food, operation expenses, you name it. It's very broad and it goes through December 31st um, so that um, uh, we hope God willing COVID's over by then and our restaurants will be back on their feet. And it's not just restaurants, it's caterers, it's brew pubs, it's tap rooms, it's tasting rooms. All are available, so it's really well done. The one thing is, well, what if they use up the 28 billion before COVID's over? (laughs) That was our
0: next question.
2: (laughs) um, Beating into the punch, (laughs) but anyway, we will renew it. And here's the good news: this was bipartisan. This wasn't Democrat Republican. In fact, it was the first amendment I put on the floor of the Senate as Majority Leader, and it was sponsored by. Um, Kirsten Cinema. she's a, re- a Democrat of Arizona and Roger Wicker, he's a Republican of Mississippi. I was proud of two things. I was proud that my first amendment that I allowed on the floor as majority leader was restaurants.
1: But second, that it was bipartisan, which is good. Would you talk a little bit about like, what you have to give up or what kind of handshakes you have to make in order to get an amendment like this passed because i I assume you can't just decide to do it and then it's done well again i
2: give the restaurant industry colloquio and the independent restaurant association and everyone lots of credit they did a lot of lobbying and not just in new york where i'm from which i would like to regard as the restaurant capital of the world (laughs) um and and the food capital of the world but they did lobbying in most states so, when I went to people and said we got to do this, I got a lot of good, positive reception. And because we were helping so many other people in this bill, and because we had helped small businesses, and we had previously gotten in a provision that would help independent venues, you know, our arts venues, the stages, and the independent movie theaters, we sort of paved the way. So, was it it took some work to get it done, but I didn't have to say, "Well, I'll sc- I'll um, mess around and hurt these people in order to help restaurants." We just added the amount, and we had a nice, you know, it was a generous bill, so we had enough money to do it and didn't have to take away money from somebody else.
0: Are you concerned at all about the rollout? I know with the Paycheck Protection Program, there were some bumps in the road with the Small Business Administration and with lenders. Um, or are yes. there provisions to get the money out more? expedient yes
2: there are provisions to get the money out more quickly there are provisions that they the smaller restaurants should get a little bit of a preference because they'll have a rougher time applying and I the SBA administrator uh, we just um, in we just confirmed her nomination yesterday. But I met with her long before and I said, you've got to roll this program out very quickly. And one of the reasons they think they can roll it out quickly is the, the Save Our Stages, which as I said, was a smaller program because mm-hmm. there aren't as many independent arts venues and places like that as there are restaurants. But they had experience doing that. So this should be relatively quick. We've told them to make the application process very, very easy. They're going to have kinds of people available at the Small Business Administration, or if you have a banker or an accountant, they'll know how to apply. So I think within a few weeks, people are going to be able to uh, apply and get the money. And um, then and and the process is not going to be a very difficult one. You do have to show, uh, you know, that you right. um, that what your receipts were last year, what your receipts are this year and stuff like that. But it's. Um, to be easy we told them not don't be complicated particularly because so many of our restaurants are small
0: yeah
2: you know one other thing i'd say what i love about restaurants that people don't understand this and that's why we wanted to make sure the restaurant owners could pay employees with this money a restaurant's sort of an organic thing it may be a chef and an under chef it may be a bunch of waiters and people who clean up and the owner but they like come together and if everyone's scattered to the winds then you'd never bring it back. So having enough money to to keep your employees on board, even though your revenues are less, was just as important as being able to pay the rent or being able uh, to pay uh, food costs and things like that.
1: When you talk about making something like this easy to sign up, is that just a technical question or is there a balance between um, or like a perfect balance between having it being simple for people who actually need it and while deterring uh, the right amount of fraud.
2: yes you have to balance it but you know given the experience that sba has had with small businesses in the past they're pretty good at it we just want to make sure they don't make it too complicated for people that's the side we erred on um but i so far in the program in the ppp program which you know is a little different mm-hmm. than this there hasn't praise god been much fraud People need the help and they get it. And so there is a balance. It's a very good question, um, but I think we've achieved it and we've achieved it without making it too onerous for restaurant owners, particularly small restaurant owners uh, to apply.
0: Now, when we talk about the workers, um, I think keeping them employed is important, but what other provisions are in the stimulus that will help everyday and low income workers, including child child tax credit and beyond?
2: Well. Yes. First, everyone below whose income is below seventy-five thousand for an individual, uh, for uh, below one hundred fifty thousand if it's a couple, gets these checks, fourteen hundred dollars a person per family in each family. So if it's a single person, it's fourteen hundred. In addition to the six hundred people got in December, um, we wanted it to be two thousand in December, but the Republicans wouldn't let it. So we got six hundred. Now we added the fourteen hundred. Now that we're in charge. Um, if it's a family of two, they get 2800 If it's a family of four, they get $5,600. There is unemployment benefits for people who lose their jobs. And by the way, a third of the restaurants told us in New York that they probably couldn't make the rent over the next three months if we didn't do this bill. That's one of the urgencies of it. We didn't want, because so many people would have lost their jobs and so many restaurants would have closed down. But in any case, um, if you lose your, don't have your job, not only do you get the state unemployment, but you get $300 um, more uh, each week for the unemployment benefits. So that's, um, so that's very helpful. Um, you also uh, can get help in a variety of other ways. Into, if, you're being, if you don't have money to pay your rent for your apartment, there's rental assistance to keep you going. Uh, this is in line with Eater. There's a lot of food assistance. We really bolster the money for soup kitchens and uh, pantries that hand out food to people. Breaks your heart to see so many people waiting online for mm-hmm. food to feed themselves, feed their families, feed their children. So there's money there. It's a very, very comprehensive bill. There's also another thing that restaurants and anyone else can use called the ERTC. And if you, you have to show that you would have not been able to keep this person employed, but you get a tax credit for up to $40,000 for 70% of that salary. So let's say you're paying a chef 30000 but you say you have to let him or her go. Um, the federal government will give you a tax credit of seventy percent of thirty thousand, and you may be able to keep that people person on. Wow. This is all on the theory, mm-hmm. you know, that we'll be over this crisis, God willing, with the vaccines getting out as quickly. And we've done a good job in this bill with vaccines. They're going to get out much more quickly than people thought. Um, it is it is thought that by early summer, maybe even late spring, enough people will be vaccinated and combine them with the people who have the antibodies because they've gotten COVID and thank God survived, uh, that we'll be able to get back to normal. So hopefully we're back to normal and our restaurants are full and brimming and happy um, uh, long before December 31st. And there's one more thing that's one of these economists. Economists think that the restaurant business and the travel business is going to just boom because all the pent-up demand of people who couldn't eat in restaurants and couldn't eat out Uh, is going to be there. So let's hope that's true.
1: The roaring 20s, as they've been saying. Yes, the roaring 20s.
0: (laughs) One of the most influential aspects of the bill, in my mind, is the child tax credit, because it is so hard for so many restaurant workers to find good child care that they can afford. Do you think there's a chance that could extend beyond this year?
2: Yes, it starts. It won't start till June or July. This is every child... gets a three, if you have a child, you get a $300 tax credit per child per month. And if the child is below um, six, it is, I believe it is 360 or 3,600 for the year. And it's per month. It's really good news for people. And even if you don't have much of an income, it's refundable. It's gonna take half the children who are in poverty out of poverty. Many of them are children of color. And so that's going to be really great news. That's another thing in this bill. The child tax credit greatly increases and the earned income tax credit. If you're working, uh, you're a single person and working without children, you often didn't get the earned income tax credit. And now you will. This is going to apply to a lot of restaurant workers and it will be available to just about everybody. Unless you have a very high income, you
0: know.
1: Now that I I guess you've you've spent some time and, and you've uh... I guess you're seeing the finances of restaurants a little more intimately. Is there anything that you would consider doing uh, in the future? Like, do you, do you think that restaurants should be treated differently from a tax perspective? Or do you think there should be some kind of exemptions that they get because they're such community hubs and because now I guess you see the, the insanely tight margins that they run on? Yeah.
2: Look, I have always, as I said, I, I saw my dad struggle as a small businessman, as an exterminator. And so any way that we can help our small businesses survive is good. And maybe one of the things we should do, you know, there may be different um, uh, uh, valleys that don't affect everybody. COVID affected everybody, but maybe a certain region, a certain type of restaurant, or even an individual restaurant gets into a temporary problem. And maybe there should be a way to help them get through that problem so they don't close. Right. That's something that I would look at, Daniel. It, It needs some exploring, but it's a great question.
0: I would love to get into the minimum wage a bit. Uh, the gradual climb to a $15 minimum wage was an inclusion in there. I know I know, a lot of senators and congresspeople wanted that, and it didn't make it. Where do you fall on that proposal? Is there a future for raising the minimum wage?
2: Yes, I think there is a future for wage, raising the minimum wage. Now, we had eight Democratic senators who voted against it, but six of them, Amanda, had trouble with the tipped wage part of it which I know some restaurants have some problems with, too. So what we're going to do, I want to go forward on minimum wage. I think if you work hard, you should um, have a decent uh, have, a, have a decent life. But we're going to put the heads together of the people, of a group of senators have diverse views and see if we can come up do with Do you think
0: something. eliminating the tipped wage could ever be in one of those conversations? Or is that a bit of a third rail?
2: Oh, well, who knows? I don't want to. I don't want to prejudge it. We're just going to, some of the people who voted, no, as I said, voted against it. They said they'd be for 15, but they Mm -hmm. got to keep in the tip wage. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see where the discussions go, but we would like to get something done.
1: Um, I just wanted to go back to something a little bit earlier. When you said the coalition did a a good job of lobbying in, uh, you know, not just in New York, but in in many states, Um, I don't mean for this to be too much of like a general politics question, but- What does that mean exactly? Like how? Yeah, that's a good
2: question. Get to talk to your first restaurants had a good lobbying force just on its own.
1: Because it's kind of a bipartisan thing. Because just
2: about every senator goes to a restaurant and you, most of us, you know, even when I don't know the owner, I always ask a question, given my dad's hardships. How's business? How's business? I ask every small business person I see, including restaurants. And when they say good, I feel happy. And when they say bad, I feel sad. It's just who I am. Um, But in any case, so first you had lots of people saying we got trouble. We might close every senator, every congressman saw restaurants closing. You know, I walk down some of the streets of my neighborhood in Brooklyn and I see restaurants that I've known for 15 years closing. And I knew the owners and it's heartbreaking. So that gave you a good base. But then the uh, Independent Restaurant Association, Colicchio and the other groups made sure that senators got put in touch with individual restaurant owners. Wow, the cool. personal story are the best. So it wasn't just, they came in and said, there are 3,811 restaurants about to close. They actually made sure we talked to different restaurateurs of different types and that mattered. And not just the workers, but also um, the um, uh not just the owners, but the workers too. So you know, I went to, I went to a whole bunch of restaurants. Um, where the owner told me of their travails, but then I spoke to the workers and you feel for them and you ache for them. You don't want them to lose their jobs. And a lot of the restaurant owners were very generous and kept paying their workers, even if it was at a loss to themselves because their revenues were only right. 25 or 30%.
1: So what do you think about the businesses on the margins of a bill like this? Like, uh, you know, gyms and other public businesses that don't exactly fit these, uh, qualifications. Okay. So
2: we've worked, we've worked for the arts and we've worked for restaurants. Right. There are, there are probably some other industries that need particular help, like you know, again, where people congregate in large numbers, and um, we're looking, we're, we will look at that in the future. In the meantime, the PPP program will help them for a shorter right. period of time. Right. Right. PPP goes for eight to twenty-four weeks. And by the way, if restaurateurs want to apply for P, you can't get the both bills. You, you know, you can't double dip. Mm-hmm. But if you, are, you have an immediate need, no, this is a good point, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, if you have an immediate need, you can apply for PPP and get that. And then when you get the restaurant money, you just pay back the PPP. So let's say your restaurant loan is 100,000, uh, let's say 50,000, right. okay? But you've already applied for PPP and you've gotten 5,000 from that. You pay out of the 50,000, you the, pay the 5,000 back to PPP. So that can keep you going in the short term. So if people are desperate and don't want to wait the few weeks before the restaurant bill is actually implemented, they can get PPP, then apply to restaurants and just pay back the amount they got out of PPP out of the the grant that they're getting in the restaurants
0: bill. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that if restaurateurs need it, it's not going to disqualify them for applying for the grant later. So they should just go ahead and get what they can get. Um, we want to be respectful of your time, but before you go, can you tell us some favorite restaurants either in D.C. or in New York that have been getting you through this pandemic?
2: I'm a New York guy. D.C., DC I'm usually eating at my desk late at night. <laughs> okay. But I'll tell you some of my – let me tell you, I love pizza. I'm a New Yorker. Roma Pizza, I'm so nutty. When I I would go around and survey restaurants or pizzerias – for the best pizza. And I'd rate it, I'd have a rating, one to 10 on three things. Sauce, I like it spicy, not smooth, not not sweet. Mm. Crust, I like it thin and malty, and cheese, quality and amount of cheese. (laughs) Roma Pizza is the best one in my opinion. I love Junior's Cheesecake. I send that to people as gifts. Junior's is a restaurant in downtown Brooklyn that's been there a long time. And for pasta, there's a great restaurant, and the owners were pretty active in the restaurant association, a restaurant called Lilia in Williamsburg. Right. And I'm gluten free sometimes, I'm gluten resistant. So when I, I can eat gluten, but they have a good gluten-free selection.
1: If you just if you were about to say that you're gluten-free sometimes, that would have been the most relatable thing that anyone has ever said on this podcast. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes.
2: Well, you know, there are some people seriously who have celiac and they can't eat gluten. Mm-hmm. But there are some people when you get older, you become gluten resistant, so you're supposed to avoid it, but you don't know if to avoid it 100. <laughs> so, so when I get that pasta carbonara, and they don't happen to have gluten uh, gluten-free, you're going uh, for it. Um, I go for it. And um, have
0: you been uh, out dining outside? Have you done indoor? Yes. Are you doing takeout? Well, What's your deal?
2: I love restaurants and that's often how we socialize. And even in the coldest, weather, I'd be eating in a big jacket and a beanie. And I even tried to cut my food with gloves love on. Love to hear it. Uh, so we could keep eating. And you know, a lot of the New York restaurants and restaurants around the country were quite um, creative in creating these outdoor areas. For themselves now when it gets to be spring they won't need it as much um i just they won't uh, be thinking, right you know it means, is what i'm yeah, saying yeah
1: of course i mean it's amazing what the streets of new york look like compared to what they did last year
2: yes we'll be back we will new york always comes back from our crises and i am a new yorker and a brooklynite to my bones and our restaurants are going to come back and New York's coming back. I am confident to both, Amanda and <laughs> Love
0: it.
1: Well, I just wanted to wrap up, but I I, I hate to do this to you. I found a, a New York Post article, whatever that means, uh, talking about the shumwich. Is that? A, mm. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a sandwich that I, I, it just looks like it's covered in pickles. And there's a quote here that they had from you where you asked whoever your aide was who wanted to get it. Did you ask for extra pickles? and then did you watch them put it, uh, put them on or did you not focus on it and
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> the shumwich is roast beef, mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup, pickles, tomatoes, onions and um, uh, jalapenos or bell peppers or something like that. That's the which It's I recommend it. It's delicious. <laughs> Love
0: it. <laughs> Well, Senator Schumer, thank you so much for taking the time and laying out the details of the stimulus for us. And um, thank thank you for everything you do.
2: Thank you, eater, for all you do about food. I am, in a certain non-professional sense, a foodie. So thanks for all your good work. I'm going to keep eating at our restaurants and everywhere else. to
0: hear it. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: All right, Amanda, we are back, uh, you know... That was Senator Schumer, obviously really exciting development for the industry and uh, it's cool that he's on board. It's cool that they independence uh, restaurants found a way to come together and uh, and and move throw some weight around politically yeah but big. I think well not but I just a big but, but it big is shout time. out
0: for Tommy Calicchio and Roma Pizza in Park Slope or wherever that is
1: Roma pizza and and, and Lilia, Lilia wow in, in Brooklyn. Lilia.
0: You know, you know who I needs tell support you, and shout-outs and help? Lilia. Yeah,
1: and a huge shout-out for Lilia. Great. Uh, let's move on to some stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I will say we've gotten in the weeds with Senator Schumer, I think we that affords us the opportunity to keep it, uh, you know, a little light for this back half of the episode. I,
0: I have um, one for you, Daniel. I do. You do?
1: Go on. What is it? Okay. Well, we have lots. But well, I have on.
0: one for you because you, I think, have the rest of the stories today. But... Did you hear that <laughs> Mario Lopez of Saved by the Bell fame is starting a tortoise, like a ghost franchise of tortoise restaurants, sandwiches?
1: I did. Yeah. Okay.
0: Did you hear that he's opening one in Houston?
1: I didn't I didn't know. I, did I,
0: you know people in Houston hate Mario Lopez? <laughs> 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 so there's a lot of Twitter backlash to him announcing that he was going to bring this tortoise ghost kitchen. To Houston because he is a huge L.A. Dodgers fan and called out the Astros and called them cheating rat bastards during that cheating scandal. And Astros fans do not forget this
1: wow because at first i was gonna say oh so it's like one of those kind of like fake baseball rivalries or whatever but that that's that's fairly real that's a that's a bold statement to make geez so have they attacked him on the so like well
0: i don't think it's gotten that far yet i don't know when it opened or opens but on twitter one person was like bless your heart if you think you'll you'll sell your crappy tortoise here in h-town another one said nope that fool's a dodgers fan. that's a big fucking no for me dog
1: I mean, it's important to remember and not to, you know, not to not to blanket discredit all of these things. But I think it is fair to kind of blanket discredit all of these celebrity backed um, ghost kitchen operations, because like, where do you want to get your food? You want to get your food from someone who who makes food and someone who personally cares about the mm-hmm. food. Mario Lopez is neither a chef nor a uh, there to do any quality control. So for multiple reasons, like all of these things are going to be probably not that great to begin with.
0: Well, let Uh, me add in a complicating factor. So with a lot of these ghost franchises, it's small indie restaurants that are making the food and selling them because they get paid, you know, a certain fee for it. And the franchise itself covers the delivery costs and a lot of other things. So in Houston, the people making the food is a restaurant called Dona Tere, so it's a local tamale mm-hmm. shop. They're making the tortas for Mario Lopez, well,
1: so now, it's I, not now as I feel easy worse. Cause, now cause, I feel worse.
0: So if you were to boycott Mario, you're also boycotting this tamale lady who's just trying to pay her bills in this very difficult moment and trying to hitch herself to this celebrity wagon.
1: So, yeah, I mean, without being insensitive, I still think the criticism is fair that, you know, she may be wonderful and she may may make the best tamales on the planet, but her name is not on the Tortas. It's it's Mario Lopez's name on the Tortas. So, you know... It's just saying you should slightly less incentivized. You shouldn't assume they'll be crappy.
0: It could be a delicious torta.
1: I think it's fair to assume they will be worse than a torta restaurant.
0: Maybe. Maybe that's fair. Yeah.
1: In general. Either way, um, that's hilarious. I bet you know who's also mad Hmm. her for Mario Lopez running his mouth about the the fucking Astros. I know, right? Yeah. Imagine she's just at home, just watching Sports Center, and she's be like, Mario, what do you? That's my business, bro.
0: Well, I mean, he did it back during the cheating scandal. I know scandal, the but- timeline doesn't, right?
1: <laughs> yes. so, so, yeah, I mean, for the sake of the joke, though, you could have maybe just but gone just along with the
0: time. Watch what you say, because it co- could come back to bite you years down the line when you're trying to open a ghost franchise in the city of your team's baseball rival.
1: Especially someone like Mario Lopez, who like I at this point know nothing about other than he's kind of like Mm Seacrest-ish, right? mm -hmm. That he just hosts a bunch of stuff, which means to me that he's politically, uh, you know, very neutral and acceptable. So like, just don't say your one job as someone who's hosting stuff on primetime TV is just not say anything interesting. Yeah. You know, and he. How do you? How would you violate? You violated this, and you're costing yourself your silly Uber Eats torta business. You schmuck up. Yeah, don't. But I don't mean, don't
0: call another team rat bastards. Just keep it clean, <laughs> my friend, and sell sell your sandwiches. Cash it in.
1: I would love if he was just so truly mad about this baseball thing, but I think he was probably just like. I mean, who knows? I'm not gonna make any assessment on his baseball fandom, but. But like if that's the one thing that finally put him over the edge <laughs> to speak publicly and really express himself, it's hilarious. All okay. right. What anyway, do you have?
0: Give me give me your story So
1: to, from today. I think this is so interesting. So we've talked before about the New York Times Facebook group, mm-hmm. uh, how it was them that uh, the moderator said, hey, this isn't a place for politics. Oh,
0: right, right, right. Yes, I remember that. Right. So.
1: F- To catch you up, the moderate uh, people were posting like vote related foods, basically like foods, you know, decorated to 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 remind people to vote. You remember when that was a big Mm -hmm. thing? Like, remember to vote. Um, Sorry about that way that I affected that. But uh, (laughs) the moderator stepped in and said, like, hey, reminder that this is uh, not for this group is just for recipes and talking about recipes. They're trying to make it apolitical. That frustrated people. So they, because they were like, food is politics, um, you know, which I have on a t shirt somewhere. And uh, (laughs) they, so they said that. And then, and then people like subtly hid the vote thing in brownies and, and whatever. Um,
0: Cool. And and that was
1: kind of, that was kind of a fun story. But now this group has grown to, I guess, 80, almost 80,000 people. And, Today, the New York Times um, in the community on Facebook have basically said they were going to allow they were going to give the group its independence Mm. and sever sever ties with it because they I think it's just run. It's just run wild
0: because it's out of control or because they're tired of dealing with
1: it. So, right. What they say is that they pay people to moderate it. And I think that they weren't. Hap- they weren't you know it, it wasn't worth it financially the amount of and time wise the amount of time they were spending moderating because like moderating is really hard i've you know sometimes when i'll put up youtube videos um I, i'll you know i'll moderate and and you'll get a comment every 30 minutes but like if you don't check for a couple of days it adds up it can be real it can be a real time investment yep. to make sure that you're happy with a with a comment section and this is 20 30 times more active i mean whatever whatever percentage more active and uh it seems like it's it's not that anything scandalous happened it's more that they just like didn't want to deal with it anymore and it wasn't it didn't wasn't earning them any money
0: and what was this was this getting a lot of like buzz on twitter like people like it was a controversy or something i
1: think people were shocked i think people are enjoy the downfall of like a new york times cooking related things oh
0: um i I bet it's more that people are just surprised i mean you sorry, you read the tweet, so I don't want to just like bullshit, but I'm sure people are surprised that someone would relinquish a big audience th-
1: That's what they're surprised about. I think that the the point that they've made in this post is one thing is clear: the interest in this group is much more is about much more than recipes or The New York Times as it continues to grow in chains, It should be run by people who are engaged and informed seems to me also like it's a bit of a liability especially in these like politically contentious times having people blasting off about anything Yeah, i mean
0: i i completely see it i'm wondering why people were so i thought you were going to tell me why people were so surprised by it is it just that they were relinquishing a big audience it
1: seems like people are kind of mad on both sides people are mad at the way they've abandoned the group people are talking about how they're like Uh, uh, people are upset People in
0: the group feel abandoned
1: They feel upset that the New York Times couldn't just invest the resources. Like I think people are saying, like it's part of the New York, part of the fact, part of the reason it was good is because they had the New York Times um, leadership in there. Supposedly they haven't been moderating for a while, and the group has just gone absolutely haywire. But uh,
0: (laughs) I think this is I think this is really interesting because. You know, like as a publisher, you often do try experiments and trying to build communities and trying off platform initiatives. And then there's a swing in the other direction where you realize that, like, this is a lot of work and not necessarily worth our time. And the New York Times' number one goal is to get subscribers, especially for their cooking app. And if they realize that, like, this Facebook group is super active and we have this huge audience that's really engaged, but, like, no one's actually converting. Or not enough people are converting, or it's not paying off. It it's not worth that kind of work. But it is an interesting. It is interesting to admit defeat on this kind of thing when you have built up such a big community and they are, super into it. I once started a Facebook group for um, women food writers and it grew for like a year and then I stopped caring about Facebook and just totally abandoned it. And it grew out into this huge thing and people ping me all the time to get entry into it. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on over there. I
1: don't. Right.
0: So I like, that is a much smaller thing, but I understand the desire to want to build a thing and then just realize it's not worth.
1: But yeah, but to have it. Time. Right. But you understand that like having it as Amanda Klute's, uh women in food writing Facebook group, makes you somewhat liable and responsible for what goes in there. So like yeah, you understand yes, I had to, the appeal to pull. I had name. to relinquish. Right, exactly. Well, give, you did the same thing. I had
0: to give admin privileges to somebody else. So like, I'm not even in this. I don't pay attention to this. I don't know what's happening here.
1: Yeah. I guess we have a week of online scandals here, mini scandals, but in other news, uh, Burger King put up a really Burger King UK put up a really successful tweet. I think <laughs> 10 days ago. Yeah, exactly. 10 days ago. Um, on
0: International Women's on Day. On International
1: Women's Day, they said flat out, women belong in the kitchen.
0: Mm-hmm. In a like kind of 70s style script. <laughs> and you said it was the UK social media, but it was actually a huge ad campaign with print ads running full page in the New York Times. <laughs> So it wasn't like, first came out and someone was like, oh, this social media person probably didn't get approval to, for this copy. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. I bet the social media person was like, are you sure, guys? They are you sure? They got big
1: backing. You
0: want to say that women belong in the kitchen? And then they had to tweet this follow-up that was like, uh, I mean, if they want, only if they want to, yeah. only if they want to. And I think all of it was to advertise some scholarship program they were launching, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. For women
0: in food that was like...
1: They're trying to, they're trying to decrease how much money it
0: was, but it it was like some paltry amount of money compared to what the ad campaign must have cost them. I
1: I am skeptical because I feel like we live in a, we live in a world now where like everyone knows what they were doing and it's not really insulting. It's just dumb, you know, like, yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, I think we're all just wasting, like, who cares what Burger King says, right? Like, but well,
0: you brought it up. (laughs) I don't even think we covered it on Eater. <laughs> it was like I mean, a has, minor Twitter thing. <laughs> it has
1: fourteen million retweets or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's too funny to pass up. I mean, you're right; it is low hanging fruit. Uh, we all know that that's not what they meant, but it is a little silly and stupid that a lot of that a lot of highly paid people approved that ad campaign.
1: How has Burger King not called you yet to be like, hey, we're going to spend $10 billion <laughs> on our next campaigns and we want to just just make sure, hey, it, we want to just make sure we don't say anything about women that is you know, just, just b- give it a tough hey, Amanda, read. We'll pay you $500,000 a year to just make sure we don't tweet the word women. And you're like, alright, I'll take that job. <laughs> Great. And they're like, hey, so we've got some ideas. <laughs> women can cook too. And just like,
0: well, they these brands do have councils like that. Um, especially after this past year. Um, (laughs) So I don't know what happened here.
1: Okay, so Burger King UK uh, apologized. We hear you. We got our initial tweet wrong and we're sorry. Our aim was to draw attention to the fact that only 20% of professional chefs in the UK are women and to change and to help change that we were awarding culinary scholarships. We will do better next time. But... You know what? But still award the scholarships. Don't you're not. What do you? Eh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Give the scholarships. In
1: other that. International Women's Day news, um, yes. Hershey bars released uh-huh. a line where uh, they, because you know the Hershey bar logo, it just has the spells mm-hmm. on Hershey. They highlighted the she.
0: Uh aha, Uh Cool.
1: And uh, as the local Empower,
0: empowering,
1: as the local woman on this podcast, does that charge you up?
0: <laughs> I feel yeah, I feel seen, I feel recognized. <laughs> I love it. Uh, They could have done the her as well. Why not? <laughs> you could switch it up, either or.
1: <laughs> they have. Op- do you think that? I mean, that's that's what they, a lot of options. Yeah, imagine they were a few days late for IWD because they're like we couldn't decide. <laughs> <laughs> I think international, it's just like, just give a bunch of money to a charity. I also think you can do this crazy wild thing called just avoid it, you know? Like, just stay strong with your marketing all year.
0: Or give the money, announce it to your, like, corporate all hands or all staff. Yeah. Don't even make it a huge campaign. Like, just do the good thing.
1: Amanda, maybe post-pandemic, advertisers will just do better, you know? That's what I really hope.
0: No, because they're not doing better during the pandemic. Why would they be better post-pandemic? No, they're
1: going to do better. You know, they're just going to do better. They're going to do do the work. And then they're going to do better. Do the work.
0: Do better. Great. Can't wait. Um, With that in mind, Daniel. Speaking of people who who
1: do better, you know, Chuck Schumer. Speaking of people
0: who do better, big thank you to majority leader Chuck Schumer for coming on the show. Thank you to you, Daniel, for always putting this thing together. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, Any questions, email us at digest at eater.com. Remember to rate us and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. And we will be back here in a couple weeks.
1: I do want to say that Chuck Schumer was oddly silent on International Women's Day. But...
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't know that he was. I don't know,
1: but (laughs) he didn't manage to signal boost to me on IWD. So... Who knows? Anyway. All right. (laughs) Please cut that out. (laughs) Do I have to?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Like, maybe they'll listen the full way. (laughs) That's fine. It's a little Easter egg. Okay. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.